praise the Lord. Well, today we're going to start a new topic. It's, as I mentioned, the month of March. So if you've got your Bibles, why don't you stand with me this morning? We're going to read from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to read starting from verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Say amen when you're there. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. It says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness, to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, His flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Verse 25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. So we're going to begin a new series, God bless you, you may be seated, entitled, What's the Point? Everyone say, what's the point? You ever have those moments in life where you wonder, what's the point? You know, where you do something, you know, say at work, you're working on a project and you're working on it and you're working on it and you're working on it and then you lose it and you're like, what was the point of doing all that work? You know, I find that quite often in my job. You know, I'll be working on a particular um, deal. It might be a really big one, and I'll put everything together, and I'll spend hours working on it, only to find out that I was never really an option for my customer to consider. And you think, what was the point? I just spent all that time doing all that work for really nothing. What's the point? And I guess the question that we're wanting to ask today is that if our walk with God is an individual walk, then what is the point of church? What is the point of gathering together? What is the point of everything that happens in a church? If, you know, the Bible tells us to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. I can't get any of you into heaven by my own righteousness or by anything I might do. It it is up to you and to your walk with God. So what is the point of us coming together? Interesting, isn't it? That's what we're going to be talking about over the next four weeks. You know, what is the point? And, and the, first, the first lesson that we're going to talk about, the first part in this series, if this is going to work for me, you know what? It's not going to work for me, is it? Let me just run back to my computer here and hit a button. Oh, that's fine. Computer decided this would be a wonderful time to do an update. There we go. The first lesson that we're going to talk about today is what is the point of congregation. What is the point of congregation? What does it mean to congregate? Anyone got any ideas? What does it mean to congregate? We are a congregation. Amen. What does it mean to congregate? 
To congregate means to come together, doesn't it? It means to join together with one focus, with one mind, with one purpose, and, and one aim. What are some other examples of where we congregate? Church, yeah, but what's some other examples of where we congregate? School, absolutely. Why do school students congregate? Because they want to learn. They are there to go through education, and they congregate in classrooms. And in one classroom, they're congregated together to learn math. In another classroom, they're congregated together to learn science. Right? What other areas of life do we see congregations where people come together? There's lots of them. What was that? Concert, absolutely. People congregate together. Why? To hear a person delivering some music. Concerts. Work. People congregate at work. Why? Because we're there with a sole focus to do our job, but we're doing it in concert with other people. Congregating. Right? There's lots of other areas. Sporting occasions, right? People congregate to cheer on their favorite sports team, to get behind their sports team. Right? People congregate down at the Taipans all the time. Amen. So congregate. But here's a question for you to consider this morning. What do you think would happen to us as a church if we never congregated, if we never came together to worship the Lord? If we never came together to hear the word of the Lord? Let me give you some statistics because statistics are always interesting. In 1950, there was a survey done in Australia, where they asked people, how often do you attend church, or do you attend church? And the result came back that 44% of the Australian population in 1950 attended church. They asked the same question in 2017, and that attendance had dropped from 44 down to 17. So in 1950, 44% of all Australians went to church on a Sunday. In 2007, that had dropped down to 17%. And so church attendance is really starting to decline. They say that established churches, churches that have been around for anywhere from 40 to sort of 100 odd years or so, very early on churches are starting to decline. They're filled with people who are older. There's no younger generation that's in those churches anymore. There are many examples all around Australia of churches that have closed their doors simply because the last parishioner passed away. And they're trying to sell these church buildings because there's just nobody wanting to go to church in those, those areas anymore. Another statistic for you is that the number of churches that are being started is not keeping up with the rate of growth in Australia's population. So if you think about the fact that even within our own organization, you know, we're looking for pastors and, and we're looking for people willing to start churches, we're still not starting enough churches to keep pace with how fast the Australian population is growing. Amen. But here's another interesting statistic for you. In 1950, 44% attended church. In 2007, 17% attended church. But in 2011, they did another survey and they asked people, do you identify as a Christian or as non-religious or as something else? And 67% of the Australian population said, I'm a Christian. But yet, only 17% 
attends church. So that's interesting, isn't it? What does that actually mean? It means that while approximately 70% of the Australian population consider themselves to be Christian, less than one in five actually attend church on a given Sunday. And I guess what that actually tells us is that today in the society that we live in, we're living in a, a culture that thinks that you can be a Christian and not attend church. You can be a Christian and not worry about having to go listen to the preaching of God's Word. Or you can be a Christian, but you don't get any value of coming together as a group of believers. It's interesting, isn't it? And so many churches, including ours, I guess, are, are trying to look at how do we get more people coming to church you know, we've done things in the past like holding events. I know other churches have done things like putting door hangers on doors and knocking on doors and inviting people to church. And, you know, we've got the big flags at the front so people driving by can see them. And, and we're active on Facebook and social media and all that kind of stuff. And, and none of that is wrong. There's nothing wrong with doing any of that. But we have to ask ourselves, why is church attendance dropping? And does it really matter? What's the point? Turn to the person next to you go, what's the point? What's the point? Now, the church in the book of Acts was very different from the average church today. Amen? You read in the book of Acts and we see that the church regularly saw signs, wonders, miracles, things happening. It was, it was quite, you know, lots of things were happening in the church. You know, it's... Um, with my Connect group on Tuesday night, I was sharing from Acts chapter 19, I think it was, where they said that the Apostle Paul, when, when he did this, the, the NIV, I think, says that there was extraordinary miracles that were done by the Apostle Paul, where, you know, handkerchiefs were brought to him and he prayed for them and they went and put them on people who were sick and they were healed, right? But they were extraordinary miracles because the people of God in the book of Acts were just so used to seeing miracles, it had become such a common thing for them that this was something special. It was extraordinary, right? I mean, a miracle by very definition was extraordinary, right, for us. But for them, it was just an everyday occurrence. It just happened all the time, amen? You know, I mean, they were used to seeing when, you know, think about Peter and John on their way to church, and the lame man was just healed as, as they... Went on their way to church, just a regular day. Think of Ananias and Sapphira, right? They lied to the Apostle Paul. God struck them dead. Apostle Paul, Apostle Peter. God struck them dead, right? Over and over, I mean, Paul and Silas praised and worshipped in a jail cell, and at midnight, an earthquake busted open the jail. These were just things that just happened on an, on an everyday occurrence with, with the apostolic church in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the church had prayer meetings where the entire building shook. Can you imagine if at prayer this morning, Brother Kenneth, when we were praying, if all of a sudden the whole building started to shake under the power of God? That'd be incredible, wouldn't it? But this is what happened in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, the, the church members gave freely to help meet the needs of the church. If someone in the church needed something, the church got together and took up an offering and helped out, and people gave generously. And we, we read about that in the book of Acts. You see, like Barnabas 
just sells a block of land and just brings the money and says, here's the money for this land. Take it and go use it to build more churches, build a better building, you know, reach the lost, do what you need to do. Amen. In the book of Acts, the church established friendships that reached outside the church walls. You see, everybody in the book of Acts was involved in the mission of spreading the gospel. You see, in the book of Acts, the spreading of the gospel was not limited to just the pastors or the apostles. But the Bible tells us very clearly that when the persecution came in Jerusalem and they went out, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. It was the church members that were scattered out into the communities and the cities around about the region. And it was them that would go up to their friends and people that they knew in those cities and say, let me tell you about Jesus. It wasn't the pastor. It wasn't the apostles. It wasn't the quote-unquote church leaders. It was the people, the church members. Everybody was engaged in spreading the gospel. And the book of Acts connected people with a life-changing experience. You see, when people came into contact with the church of the book of Acts, their life was completely changed. And that's what we want with our church as well, amen? We want people who come through those doors to have their lives completely changed by the power of God. We want their lives to be turned around. We want them to set a new direction. We want them to to come to the Lord and to begin to walk for Him and to live for Him and to put Him first. This is the book of Acts. This is the church. But today, many churches do not teach and preach about the Holy Spirit. And they do not preach and teach about the power that we have through it. And because of this, many people don't attend church because they feel like they aren't better for having attended. You see, the problem is, is that when people come to church and we're not talking about the power of the Holy Spirit to change people's lives, they leave feeling like, well, I didn't really get anything from that. Because here's the thing, as a church, we are competing as a congregation with other congregations that are out there. See, right now in Cairns today, there are lots of congregations of sports that are happening, right? People are gathering together to play supports and to cheer on their kids and stuff like that. And if they don't come in here and their life is not changed, then we're just being the same as any other Little League baseball team. We're being the same as any other little cricket team or any other soccer team or anything like that. We're not offering anything different. But it is only when we begin to preach and to teach about the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives that we will begin to become like the book of Acts. Is this making sense so far? What's the point? What is the point of a congregation? Does our attendance matter? You see, when people visit our church and when the Holy Spirit does show up and when the power of God is evidence in this place, it makes many of them want to come back. People aren't going to want to come to our church because we have the best music in town. We don't. People aren't going to want to come to our church because we have the best preaching and teaching in town. I think it's apostolic. I think it's the truth. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find better preaching in town. But we don't have lights and smoke machines and, and fine oratory. 
We just preach God's Word. People aren't going to come to our church because we've got the best building. You know, on one day this building will be too cold. On the next day the building will be too hot. We've got a crack happening. Every time I look at that crack, I'm like, man, that bugs me. People aren't going to come here because we've got the finest building in town and the best facilities. We don't. People aren't going to come to our church because we've got the best programs. Because our youth group is amazing. Because our music ministry team is just so on fire. They're not going to come to our church because our men's ministry is just incredible. No. But people will come to our church because one thing that we can have over every other church, every other congregation, be it a religious congregation, or be it a music concert, or be it a sports, sports event, or be it any other kind of congregation that happens in this town on a Sunday, in this church, we preach and we teach about the power of the Holy Spirit to change lives. And that's why I'm excited about coming together, because I know this is the only place in Cairns where lives can be changed. Because we preach and we teach about the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone say amen. amen. You see, when we hear the preaching of the word at church, this is what causes sinners to believe. Amen. Romans chapter 10 tells us this. Let me flick there quickly and read it to you. Romans 10, it says, How shall they call on them, on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? It is in a church congregation that you hear the preaching of the Word of God. Amen. God has also promised that if we congregate to worship, He will visit us. Matthew chapter 18 and verse 20 tells us that. Where two or three are gathered together in His name, there He is in the midst of us. Amen. This is why it is so important to understand that when we are here, it's not about us. It's about Jesus. We are here in His name. We're not in here in the name of Hope Divine Pentecostal Church. We're not here under the name of the United Pentecostal Church of Australia. We're not here under the name of Pastor Jason Gratian. We are here under the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. And so when we come together in that name, that's when His Spirit can begin to work in our midst. Someone say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Hebrews tells us, we read it this morning in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. It says, forsaking not the assembling of ourselves together. Especially as we see the second coming approaching. We don't have much longer until Jesus comes to take His church away. Amen. We may not even be here next week. We just don't know. You know, we're not going to get into a study of prophecy this morning, but I believe there is really nothing left in the Bible to be fulfilled before Jesus can come again and take His church away. So what's the point? If we are to be truly apostolic, and I want to be apostolic, let me just quickly explain what that word apostolic means, because you've probably heard it a few times in this church. Right? Apostolic simply means we believe and we do like the apostles did in the book of Acts. Right? Apostolic. If we are to be truly apostolic, to walk in the example of the apostles, we will find that church attendance is very important to our walk with God. The early believers in Acts chapter 2 and verse 46, they met in the temple daily. 
Brother Kenneth, I wonder how people would go if we suddenly announced that, well, we're going to have service every morning. We have to start early because people have work. So we'll start church at 7 a.m. And we'll finish at 8.30 every day. Every night after work, we have church service. And this is what the book of Acts did. They had church every day. They didn't just have church on some arbitrary day. But no, it was every day we're having church. We're gathering together. We're sharing God's Word. This is why for us, it's so important that we come together on a Sunday because we're only coming together one day of the week. Amen. But this is why as a church, we run connect groups and we run prayer meetings because it is an opportunity to come together, to hear God's Word, to fellowship, to congregate together. Amen. So now that we understand the Bible instructs us to congregate, let's examine why. Why do we congregate? What's the point? Turn to the person next to you and say, what's the point? What's the point? What are the benefits of church attendance? These are questions I want you to think about because, you know, we're going to hear this more often. As a matter of fact, let me just sidetrack here. An excellent example of this. We're going to hear a lot more of why do you go to church? What is the point of church? You know, you look at what's happening in the media at the moment. Right? And, and, and I've had people on my Facebook feed say, what is the point of church? We should just shut all the churches, fire all the pastors, lock them all up in Australia because of what's going on. So we need to be prepared for when someone says, well, why do you go to church? That's an outdated, outmoded way of life. We need to be prepared to go, no, I know what the point is. Amen. And we're going to hear it more and more. So the first reason we come to church is to build unity. Everyone say unity. 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 We attend because we want to entertain the Spirit of God. And we want to do that in unity. Amen. There is something special about a group of people that come together with one focus and one mind and one goal. And that goal is to lift Jesus higher. Amen. So we come together because we want to entertain the spirit of God. We attend because we want to be united. Amen. We all know those people who who kind of church hop. Right? They're just not really comfortable in any church. So they keep hopping around until they find a church where they, they fit in. But they're not united with anybody. They're not focused on one goal and one mind and then behind the vision of where God is taking His church. Amen? So attending church brings you into unity with everybody else. The other reason, still talking about unity, is that we attend for the sake of of accountability. Everyone say accountability. Let's look at this for a second. In the book of Hebrews, where we read earlier today. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24 says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to Good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Everyone say exhorting one another. Exhorting one another. 
When we come together, we exhort one another and we build accountability with one another. Right? As the pastor, when I look out on a Sunday morning and I see somebody not in church, I wonder where they are. And I begin to pray for them. And I might call them up and go, hey, we missed you on Sunday. Or I might get one of our leaders to call them up and say, hey, we missed you on Sunday. Is everything okay? Do you need our help? Can we, can we help you in any way? Right? But when you come together, you become accountable to one another. What do I mean by that? It means that you've got someone there to watch your back. It means you've got someone who, when maybe you start to stray or start to get distracted or start to veer away, you are surrounded by people who can say, no, 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 hang on, hang on, hang on. That's not right. Let me bring you back. Let me show you the right way. Let me put you back on track. But you only get that if you are a regular part of the church, if you are regularly attending church. But if you're like, no, 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 I don't need to go to church. I never go to church. I have my own walk with God. You have no accountability. Nobody's watching your back. No one's wondering how you're doing, amen? We enter into the holy place through the blood of Jesus. What do I mean by that? In the Old Testament, the Israelites worshipped in the tabernacle. The tabernacle had three parts. It had the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And people could bring sacrifices to the outer court, right? but that was the furthest they could go. They were not allowed into the holy place, and they certainly were not allowed into the holy of holies. The high priest and the priests could enter into the holy place. But only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, the very inner sanctum where God's presence dwelt. This is in the Old Testament, right? But he could only do that once a year. Now, this didn't please God because God has always wanted to have a relationship with his people. Amen. He's always wanted a relationship with his creation. And so that's why the cross occurred. Jesus came, paid the price for our sin, so that God wouldn't have to be separated from us, amen? And when he died on the cross, we gave, he gave us access to his spirit. You remember when he died, the veil in the holy place was ripped from top to bottom, signifying that the very presence of God was open. Anybody could come in. Anybody could come and worship God, amen? And so that means now we can all enter his presence at any time that we choose to. And so while we should entertain God's Spirit in private devotion, right? And, and Matthew talks about this in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 3. It says, you know, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Jesus talks, he says, you know, enter into a closet and, and pray to your Father, right? We should do that. But it is also vitally important that we congregate together, that we come together as a body of believers. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 1, Pentecost happened when the disciples prayed together. The Bible says they were all together in one place and in one accord. Amen. They were there with unity. When Paul and Silas worshipped together in the jail cells, the prison doors flew open. When Peter and John were on their way to the house of the Lord at the hour of prayer, on their way to congregate with the people of God, the lame man was healed. And I read this scripture earlier, Matthew 18, 20. Jesus promised that when two or three are gathered together in his name, 
that he would be present. Amen. Someone say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23, it says, let us hold fast. Everyone say hold fast. The profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. Together we can hold fast to our hope that is found in Christ. Amen. And it is our need for him that brings us together. You see, we're kind of like, um, you know, those um, charcoal brick things that you do on charcoal barbecues. You know what I mean? Right? You know, we're, we're, I'm very blessed. You know, my, my father-in-law makes this amazing um, Portuguese thing. It's like meat on a spit, cooked over, slow cooked over charcoals. On a, oh, man, I'm, my mouth is watering just thinking about it. Mm. It's really good. But he fills that barbecue with charcoal. Charcoal bricks, right? What kind of barbecue do you think he would have if he got one charcoal brick and stuck it in the barbecue, lit it up and go, okay, we've got a barbecue now. Let's just cook it. It wouldn't get very hot. The meat would be very raw. It would probably never cook. And the little charcoal briquette would eventually go out. Right? So what's he do? He puts a whole heap in. He pours the whole bag in, sometimes two whole bags in, and he lights them. And the thing is, is that each one of those little briquettes, as they come into contact with each other, they, they keep each other hot. They keep each other on fire. They keep each other warm and cooking that meat. And they sit there and they all smolder together. It's the same thing with a church is that when we are just by ourselves, and when we are isolating ourselves from our church brothers and sisters, we're like just that single little briquette. Not very effective. Prone to getting cold and going out very easily. But it is when we come together as a church, and when we gather together in His name, when, when we come in, then we begin to heat each other up. We begin to enter into His presence more easily. Because the thing is, is that everybody that is sitting here today, we're all at different, well, different points in our walk with God. Amen. Some of us have been walking for God for 20 years. Some of us have been walking for God for five minutes. Right? Some of us have a really good close relationship with God. Some of us are a little bit further away. Some of us think we're really good. Some of us know we're not really good. But it's when you come together, it doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God, how on fire you think you are or how on fire you're not. When you come together and you're with people who love God and you're surrounded by people who are serving God and who are on fire for Him, who are allowing God's Spirit to move in their life and to direct them and to guide them, that will begin to affect your life. And you'll see something in your life and you'll think, I want that. I've got to have that in my life. But it is only when you are in God's presence, when everyone is here together, that you'll begin to catch that. And it begins to rub off. Do you ever have those times when you come to church? Don't put your hand up. But you come to church and you really would rather just stay home? No? I do sometimes. I'll be honest. There are some days, oh, <laughs> but do you know what? Every time I've left, 
I've always felt, man, that was a great service. I am so glad I went. I am so glad I made the effort. I am so glad that I attended today. Why? Because on some days, I might not exactly feel all fired up for Jesus. I might not be ready to go swinging off the chandeliers and jumping off the platform and doing flying windmills and all this kind of stuff. But I know that if I can get with God's people, somebody there is going to come in and they're going to be just on fire for God. And they're just going to be so excited to be in God's house. And they come in and I just spend a little bit of time with them and it begins to rub off. I'm like, hey, if they can praise God, I can praise God too. Hey, if they can dance for God, I can dance for God too. Hey, if they can lift their hands, I can lift my hands too. And I begin to feel better. And I begin to entertain God's presence and God begins to move on me and speak through me and anoint me and I begin to feel like, yes, this is where I'm meant to be. This is why we have to congregate. This is why we have to gather together. Amen. Here's the other thing. This might shock some people's theology. But you don't have to be everybody's best friend to be in unity in the church. Woo, you're looking at me strong now. <laughs> you got to love one another. Bible tells us that. But there might be someone in church who you just... You know, your personalities just don't mix. That's okay. That's all right. You still be polite. You still love your brother. I love his brother. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Right? But the point is, is that the unity that we get from being together outweighs the implications of, well, you know, I don't really like that person. I'm not good friends with them. That's okay. Come together anyway, because the unity that you bring will strengthen you and enable you to continue to walk for God. And that is far more important than worrying about, well, I don't like that person. That person smells funny. That person dresses odd. That person has bad breath. It doesn't matter. When you come together... It still builds unity. You still build strength, amen? And we're the body of Christ. See, the body of Christ needs all sorts of people from all different walks of life, from all different backgrounds, because we're a body, right? If we were all like me, this would be a horrible church to be in. Let me tell you, if everybody in here was like me, man, this church would not run very well at all. I am very forgetful. I am very forgetful. Right? I'd forget my Bible, I'd forget my laptop, I'd forget this, I'd forget that. I'm very forgetful. Sister Janie is not forgetful. She remembers everything. That's why we're a good team. Right? I forget, she remembers. It works well. Right? But it's the same in the body of Christ. You know, there are things that I can't do. But there are other things that others of you are strong in and you have great abilities and talents. And we bring them together and we congregate together and, and God uses that person's strength and that person's strength and that person's talent and, and this person's ability. And He brings it all in together and God's kingdom goes forward. Amen? Praise the Lord. Many times in the New Testament, the apostles urged the church to unite. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. Peter wrote and said, be of one mind. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, speak the same thing. Be perfectly joined together. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 to 3. Paul wrote and said, keep the unity of the Spirit. Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. They were of one heart and of one soul. Right? Unity. Here's the thing. You might not have all your best friends in church, 
But if you've got the right mindset, I am not here to be world's best friend with everybody in this building. I am here to lift Jesus higher. I am here to lift Jesus up. Because we can be united in purpose and still focus on Jesus. And that's where we want to get to. Amen. Someone say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to finish up on the last little bit here. The first reason we congregate is to have unity, to promote unity. But I touched briefly on it. I want to go back to it. But the other reason we congregate is to maintain accountability. Everyone say accountability. You see, we have to battle a sinful culture every day. There's no two ways about it. I was discussing this with Sister Janie earlier on a couple of weeks ago. And we are just saying this, this world just seems to be sliding further and further and further and further away. We have to constantly battle a sinful culture. I mean, even when you go to the shopping center these days, you've got to kind of watch where you look and, and make sure you don't look at the wrong places because there's just so much sinfulness around. Amen? And so every day becomes an exercise in guarding our eyes, guarding our hearts, guarding our mind. Amen? And so while living righteously is a personal battle, it is much easier when we have others around us to keep us accountable. The Bible clearly demonstrates that living for God is easier with the support of other believers. Amen? Praise the Lord. And so we have to be held accountable for the way that we live. Why? Because if we are straying from God, other people can help us find our way back. Ephesians chapter 4, I've I've spoken about this before, the fivefold ministry. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, that's just the pastors, teachers, evangelists, prophets, apostles, you know, their job is to equip the saints to do the work of ministry and to to keep the union. No, 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 no. The pastor's job is to equip the saints. It's the saints' job to build the church, to edify one another, to build one another up. Let's just turn there quickly. I think we've got a few more minutes. Ephesians, I want to I just read this. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, right? A lot of people read that and go, okay, well, you know, it's the pastor's job to perfect the saints. It's the pastor's job to do the work of the ministry. It's the pastor's job to edify the body of Christ. That's not right. That's not what that scripture is saying. What the scripture is saying is that it's the pastor's job to help perfect the saints or to give you what you need to be able to be complete in Jesus Christ, to help teach and instruct you. But then that is so you can turn around, everyone get your finger pointed at you and say, me, me, It is up to you to do the work of the ministry, to serve one another, to lift one another up, to love one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another, and to edify the body of Christ. Amen. And so it is when we come together, we are edifying one another. We are building one another up. We are strengthening one another. Psalms chapter 23, sorry, Psalms chapter 73, verses 2 and 17. You know, David writes in verse 2. 
He says that, um, you know, I observed the prosperity of the wicked. And I was, he says, I began to feel jealous. I looked at them and thought, man, they've got everything going for them. Everything's going right. But it wasn't until verse 17, the Bible tells us in Psalm 73, that he got into the house of God. And then he said, then I understood their end. Then I knew where they were going. I could see their future. Right? It is in God's house we get our priorities and our focuses realigned to what matters. Because out there, throughout even just the week, as we begin to see things we shouldn't see and look at things we shouldn't look at and go places we shouldn't go, we begin to have our focus and our mind warped away from the things of God. And when we come back into the house of God with God's believers, it snaps our mind back and snaps our focus back to what really matters. Amen. Proverbs chapter 20, 27 and verse 17 tells us that iron sharpens iron. Right? When we are with one another, we are strengthening one another. We are building one another up. Hebrews chapter 10, where we read earlier, it says that we are to help one another, to stir each other up to love and to good works. You know, have you ever gone up to Brother Stan and told him, man, I just, I appreciate that you do the treasury job for our church. Has anyone ever gone up to Brother Raddick and said, Brother Raddick, I appreciate that you pick people up for church every single Sunday, right? That's building him up. That's making him feel like, man, I'm part of this team. I'm valued here, right? That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. We've got to build one another up. Look for ways to help one another and to build each other and encourage each other. Praise the Lord. We encourage one another. It's not the role of fellow believers to straighten each other out. Only God can do that. But we can encourage one another to walk righteously. Praise the Lord. As believers, we are not to chastise one another. We are not to offend one another. We are not to accuse each other without proof. We're not to shun someone for moral failings. We're not to gossip about one another. The house of God should be a safe place where people can go and in, enter into the presence of God and feel His presence. And if we have experienced God's hope, if we can look at our lives and go, you know what? I wasn't perfect. I was far away from God. I had made mistakes. But if we are able to look back at our life, when we see someone else come in those doors, maybe they are far from God. Maybe their life is not right with God. But this place needs to be a place where they are welcomed, where they feel like, man, I can belong here. I'm not being judged here. I'm not being condemned here. We ought to be a church that opens up our arms to anybody who walks through these church doors. Why don't we all stand this morning? We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. But my question that I want you to take away this morning, I want you to be thinking about it throughout this week, is this. How do we as a church promote love within the church for everybody who enters? Whether they are a long-time member of this church, or whether they've only just started coming, or whether they're a first-time visitor, how do we make them feel welcome? How do we promote love within our church? Praise the Lord. Why don't we just pray together right now? Hallelujah. Precious Jesus. Lord, I feel your presence.